Our reading tonight is from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, um, to chapter 2, verse 11. And you can find that on page 980 of the Church Bibles. That's page 980, Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now there is so much for us to learn and take to heart from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Remember, it is a letter written to a real local church. And by application, we are a real local church, and therefore we sit up and take note. More importantly, though, it is a letter, and Paul makes this point again and again through the text, it is a letter written to every single person in that local church. Every single person is to listen to this letter, because every single person has a contribution to make, positive or negative, in their attitude and their actions to whether or not that church is one. One mind, one spirit, one heart, one vision. Now, tonight, chapter 1, 27 to 211. Our main focus will be 1, 27 to 30, with some time on 2, 1 to 11, and we'll come back for a second bite at 2, 1 to 11. There are such great verses next week. So first point, you'll see it on the service sheet. Short and snappy. 
Stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Just listen to that again. This is what a local church is to be. Standing firm, implication against something. In one spirit, one spirit, one mind striving. Not drifting, not standing still, but striving for the faith of the gospel. Now, a couple of illustrations that I hope will help. On the screen, the Scottish Rugby's marketing campaign as one. Daniel, you sat up and noticed at that point. <laughs> I could tell. Every player matters from the international level to the grassroots. And each team, this is stating the obvious, but the parallel to a church is strong. Each player fits into the team in their particular position. It doesn't matter if you can't kick, as long as there's someone in the team who can. A rugby team is made up of people who are bigger, smaller, faster, slower than the others. They wear different numbers on their back. Each number stands for a position, and the team as a whole is better for all 15 as one. Not just the players, though, every supporter matters. The Scottish rugby community as one. Next, this is the GB men's rowing aid from Tokyo 2020. Every member of the crew is critical. Take one out, leave seven, disaster. It doesn't work with seven. It works only with eight. And that little person at the back there steering, he is about a quarter of the size of the person in front of him. But both are vital. The speed of the vote and the straightness of the line, dependent on everyone working in sync and time together. And that picture only tells a little tiny bit of the story, the unseen story. You can see it on the telly, the Olympic Diaries. Six in the morning, in the winter, in the snow, month after month, year after year of hard work, discipline, and training. Thank you, Becca. Now, I've used these sporting illustrations because they capture the hard work, the striving that is required, as well as the teamwork. Let's move, though, from elite athletes to us. Is there any difference? Listen. To these words in Philippians chapter 1, 27 to 30 again. Let your manner of life be worthy. Let me give you a more literal translation. Only behave as citizens worthy, citizens of the kingdom of God, citizens not of the world, but of the world to come, living in this world as witnesses to Christ our King. Only believe, behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, remember he's in prison, he may live or he may die. I may hear of you that, and what follows, we might well take as the text verse of the whole letter. Here's the text verse of the letter. This is why Paul wrote the letter. This is the burden of the apostle for Chalmers. That you are standing firm in one spirit, whether three years ago, whether tonight, or whether in three years, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, 
striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. The strong language that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This morning, we had the return of bite size, reach, build, train, send. It was wonderful for the kids and for us oldies just to be reminded of these fundamentals, reach, build, train, send, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, reaching out with the gospel into this community and beyond, building each other up, training and sending people out, supporting them as gospel partners, partnership with a wider church, striving as one. Now, here's the deal, here's the reality. Think of that picture of the rowing eight, two things. One, there is opposition. And two, there is often a strong headwind up against them. And there is always a headwind against the living church. There is always a wind, sometimes a gale, even a hurricane. And the church in Philippi was facing such a headwind. Direct opposition from outside, perhaps even persecution, the beginnings of it. Paul refers to verse 28, your opponents. And he says that they are engaged in the same conflict. Paul has been opposed, now they are being opposed. They'd seen it when Paul started the church in Philippi. Paul and Silas thrown into prison. And now Paul is in prison again, and the church in Philippi are engaged in the same conflict, not because they are combative, aggressive, or spoiling for a fight. Rather, it's simply because, verse 7b of chapter 1, they are partakers of grace. They have accepted the grace of the gospel. They have embraced the grace of the gospel, and that means suffering, and the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. In cosmopolitan Philippi, what this little church stood for was not acceptable. Change the gospel, and it might well have been more acceptable. But no, Paul calls the Christians in the church in Philippi, all of them, to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, that's the burden of the letter. What I want us to see and take time to see is that the exhortation to strive to stand firm in one mind and in one spirit is grounded in grace. Nothing we are asked to do in the Christian life is something that we have not been given the supernatural capacity to do. Now, look at the evidence of grace in these verses. Look how they begin. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The literal translation, live as citizens of heaven. You and I did not become a citizen of heaven other than by grace. You have Christ. You have His Spirit. You are a citizen of the eternal King of glory. It's grace at the start. What about the middle of our little passage? 
Don't be frightened by your opponents. Well, that's just daft. I remember asking one of our global partners who is in a place in the world where there is every reason to be afraid. Is it true in these situations that you're not afraid? And he said to me, he reminded me of something I had said to him in the past about when people are really sick and they die. And you see a supernatural grace come upon them that is diametrically opposed to the circumstances they are in. And this individual, I nearly said their name, said to me, that's exactly what it's like when suffering comes for the sake of the gospel, because it is supernatural grace. Well, grace is supernatural. That's why he says, don't be frightened. You know that bit, bit at the end of the letter, that really famous bit that's often taken out of context, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, present your request to God and the God of peace. Peace which surpasses all human understanding. It's not normal or of this world. It's God-given. Will garrison, literally is the word, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we stand side by side and contend for the gospel. As citizens of heaven, which is a grace position, with the supernatural capacity within us to have our hearts and minds garrisoned, protected, guarded, not with one, but a whole troop of soldiers. And then look at the end of our little passage. Extraordinary words. Verse 29, it has been granted to you a grace gift. It has been granted to you. And let's just hear these words directly as a church living at the, the cutting edge of, of secularism of the 21st century. We are in this part of history. It's better to be here, I think, than looking at 50 years of decline ahead of us. We can't get much lower. It has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict you saw I had, and now hear that I still had. That's extraordinary, that suffering, being opposed, persecuted for the sake of Jesus and his gospel is within the realm of a grace gift. It's not just Grace to sustain us in our suffering, but to suffer is a grace gift. Let me show you that from the letter. Look at chapter 1, verse 7b. Again, you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 29, for it has been granted to you a grace gift. And for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Chapter 3, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. 
In verse 10 of chapter 3, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. The heartbeat of this letter is that every one of us will long to know Christ better. And as a church, we will know Christ better and better. And knowing Christ is knowing the grace of being called to share in His sufferings, to advance the gospel. It is striking. It is sobering. It is moving all at the same time. That Jesus grants to us and calls us and enables us to share in His sufferings for the advance of the gospel. Through suffering, even to death on a cross, Jesus opened the gates to heaven. We are called to take up our cross and follow Him, sharing in His sufferings. Now, that is a challenging road to walk on. It is steep, it is dangerous, it is narrow. If you've not read Pilgrim's Progress, you've got to read it. You will read of this road. It's not, though, and this is important, it's not a road that in the Christian life, whether as individual Christians or as a local church, we choose at some juncture in the Christian life to step onto. It is a road that we are converted onto. It is a road when you join, as Benj has tonight, a living local church that you are stepping onto. It should be. What happens at Christians is that we step off the road we are converted onto for an easier life. What the New Testament describes as Christian experience is normal. It is not for the zealous few. It is normal. And we are entering in the west of Europe into the normal zone of Christian experience. Now, let me root this into our life as a church, striving as one for the faith of the gospel, citizens by grace, garrisoned in heart and mind when we are afraid by grace, called by grace to suffer with Christ. What does it might look like for Chalmers as a local church? Well, every church has a story, a history. It might be long, it might be short. Some of you have been here for many years. Some of you have been here for hardly any time. Davy and Emma, you have been here through lots of stuff. I do hope Burkhead will be easier, but I can almost certainly promise you it will be no different. There will be challenges. There will be opponents. 
there will be difficulties, there will be joy, there will be breaks in the cloud, and when it breaks in the cloud, just bask in the sun. It's normal. Let's reflect on our story. Those of you who know it, do these verses describe it or not? I simply put that out and ask you to reflect and consider that. It's not, it's not a sort of arrogant claim if they did. It would be worrying if they didn't. Behave as citizens worthy, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened by those who oppose you. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and I hear that I still have. If that is in some way true, and I think it is, and I think it's right to say that it is, only and ever because it's the grace of God we do not dwell in the past, but we draw strength from it. Because these words in Philippians, if they are a description of our story, they will be a description of the next 10 years of the story of this church. And the 10 years after that, and the 10 years after that, for this is normal, real. What about Chalmers as a local church, reaching, building, training, and sending? Let me just focus on one aspect of that, reaching. God has given us this great building and a great location. It is about to be redeveloped so it can better facilitate ministry. I want you to pray one thing that we are able in that period of redevelopment to stay in this area. Because God is giving us increasingly a burden for this area. It is to be redeveloped, not so that the seats are more comfortable. <laughs> that implies that I think they're not. They are the most comfortable seats I've ever sat on. It is to be redeveloped to facilitate ministry. Let me just cut to the chase so that people become Christians in this community. That we fill this building with groups, with the gospel in them, the Bible in them. Our responsibility is to tell people about Jesus. We will not do that effectively if it is the job of a committee or the job of one or two people, we will only do it effectively if we stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive side by side for the sake of the gospel. Not frightened? By, what have we got to be afraid of? 
the inevitable rejection and opposition that will come along with progress. If we take the gospel into this community, if we start speaking the gospel into this community, if we try and bring people in to hear the gospel, I would be astonished if there is not stuff as a consequence of that. There will be. Chalmers is a local church. Chalmers, as a local church, along with other churches in the country, we are beginning to see the first sign of churches out of step with the authorities that govern us. We are, in the end, to behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Jesus. There is a tension in the Word of God. We submit to the authorities over us, and rightly so. But if the authorities over us ask us to do something which is contrary to what we believe is a non-negotiable or a fundamental, we cannot do it. And these days may well come. And we will only stand fast in such times if we are in one spirit, with one mind, side by side. Now, we've learned that in our history, and it may well be that God knows that and embraces that in our future. And then Chalmers serving the wider church, privileged in lots of ways to do that, Scotland faces huge spiritual challenges. In terms of global mission, Scotland is now considered an unreached nation. We must clock that. Somebody asked me in the past week, a sort of funder from overseas, how would you describe the kind of gospel vision and strategy in Scotland? He said, is it, is it kind of like at base camp? And I said, no, we can't even see base camp yet. It's tiny, tiny numbers. But it's there, an emerging vision and strategy. Local church is becoming missional. Planting, training is becoming more normal from the borders to the highlands in the cities and in the country. But the emerging strategy... It's like a mustard seed, faces many threats, it is fragile and small. The dangers are, and Paul pinpoints them here, rivalry and ambition, partisanship, parochialism, tribalism. God's call to gospel churches in this city, in this nation. Gospel churches. It's not a kind of woolly wrap around all. Gospel churches stand firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, let's spend our remaining time, and just as I said, a short time in the beginning of chapter 2. We'll come back to it next week along with 2. 12 to 30. Chapter 1, verse 27 is, I am persuaded, the key verse in the letter. And we can see that as we travel through the rest of the letter. Stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the face of the gospel. But there is a danger, I think, that we hear these words 
Think of that Scottish rugby slogan, as one. We kind of hear them as a rallying cry, and our hearts are buoyed up, and our minds are engaged, and we leave the church, and by tomorrow morning, we don't know what to do on the ground to make this happen. Scottish rugby is not just about Murrayfield when Scotland win, rare occasion as that may be. It's out there on the muddy pitches in Burkhead and in Morningside. So what does it look like in the, on the ground in a local church like Philippi or like Chalmers? What does it look like How do we become of one mind, of one heart, striving for the faith of the gospel? What do we do? Answer chapter 2, verses 1 to 8, with the mind of Christ, living selfless, sacrificial lives. Stand firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Wow, that's going to motivate me in mind and heart. I want to do that. How? Look at the person next to you. Consider them. Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Selfless, humble, sacrificial. Let's read these verses. If there is any encouragement to one, In Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul's back on familiar territory, oneness, oneness, unity. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not kind of quality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Famous verses. You'll find them on tea towels and on pictures on walls. But here's a wrong way, I think, of reading these verses. The wrong way is this. Verses 1 to 4 are about our attitudes and actions. Then verses 5 to 8 is Jesus' example that's way out there that we should aspire to. That's not right. The whole thing is intertwined. The life of the Christian, the life of the Christian church is intertwined with Christ's life. He is in us by His Spirit. When the Spirit is abroad in a church, that means Christ is in the church. Look at the linking verses. Verse 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ, you are in Christ. Any comfort from love, His love. Any participation in the Spirit. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So the attitude that he will exhort us to, the attitude that leads in the end to us striving side by side for the gospel is yours in Christ Jesus. We work it out, but we do not put it in. It's not be like Jesus in the sense of make your life like his. You are like him. His spirit indwells you. 
This is who we are as a church. In Christ. Comforted by His love. Participating in His Spirit. Experiencing affections that we could not and would not experience without Christ in us. Sympathies. So what we have. And in that context, Paul says, be of the same mind. Have the same love. That's why the Word of God is so central to our life as a church, because the Word of God brings all of that stuff out into maturity. We could never, ever create this. We need to work out, realize the potential, let our supernatural capacity flow out of our lives, affecting the life of the church. But we work out what is in there already. Now let's get really practical as we close, and we'll take time to come back on this next week. Verses 3 and 4. This is directly to you and directly to me. How do we know? Look at verse 4. The opening words, let each of you. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Two applications. First, the attitude and actions of every individual within the church. Sit up. Wake up, that's you. It's you. Your attitude, your actions, my attitude and actions matters. If we are to stand firm in one spirit, one mind, and strive side by side, that can only happen practically on the ground, if verses 3 and 4 are true of us all, you and me. What does it mean? Well, we've got to discern that. It means serving according to how God has gifted you. It means serving just by doing stuff because if it's not done, the gospel doesn't advance. It means giving financially so the work of the gospel can advance. That's not a kind of setup. I'm just describing what's happened. Giving financially is looking not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. That's exactly what it is. Two things happened during lockdown illustrate that. The building project thing happened. I mean, that, that's got to be of God, that the money came and so on and so forth. But here's the thing I think illustrates this really well. What was it that got the church back to meeting in person. We sat in a staff meeting one day, and uh, I remember saying to Naomi, Naomi, I want you to get everybody back to church once a week in person. Off you go. What was it that did it? Lots of people, preachers, tech, all that, welcome. But the most striking thing of all was the 80-plus people who joined a cleaning team. So it could happen. Some of them, well, hardly any of them, liked cleaning. Some did. Quite a lot weren't very good at it. No, just chuck the bucket on the seat. A number of people thought, 
This is overboard for what we are asked to do, but for the sake of the church, I'm going to do it anyway. That's exactly what this looks like on the ground. And because 80 people cleaned this church, everybody could come to the church once a week in person. That's it. It's true. Second application, our attitude and actions as a church and as individuals within the wider church. What characterizes our attitude and actions with respect to the wider church? Every local church has a responsibility to serve the wider church. God has given us an unusual opportunity, training and sending gospel workers. It costs a lot of money. A third, roughly, of our annual expenditure is directly or indirectly related to the wider church, and it's really hard to send people away like these two, and it's hard for them to go. But that is looking not to one's own interests, but to the interests of others, to the wider church. Sometimes I think Chalmers is like a revolving door when someone emails and says, well, there's a new church where I live, and I think we should really go to that. And sometimes the answer is no, but often the answer is, is yes, and, and then you have to start building again and start building again. And, and what will happen over the next 20 years in Scotland, in Edinburgh, is the city churches will be sending people all of the time into these suburban churches. And we need to be a church that relishes that and be heard to relish that. And what about our attitude to other churches and our actions? Is it rivalry or partnership? Is it a glad willingness to affirm where the gospel is alive? Now, our time is gone. I'm going to just read the last two verses. Is it worth it? That was Roger's question this morning, or Luke's question. Is it really worth it? We're not even at base camp. Is it really worth it? About six times this week, I thought no. Roger was about the same. And these are not made-up things. When somebody else emails you and say, I don't feel the church is for me, you know, that takes, that gets you always, it might be right, but often it's not. What happened to Jesus when he did not look to his own interests, but to the interests of others? What happened to Jesus when he was willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel? Verses 9 to 11, God exalted him to the highest place. God is not going to put a crown on our heads in this life, but he will put a crown on our heads in the life to come. There is, rightly, I think, a quickening in the steps of Christians this side of the pandemic to be wise in our balance of risks. And for this short span of years while we are on the earth, knowing our eternity is safe and secure, may we be found standing firm in one spirit 
with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And God, at the last, will exalt every one of you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that these words will not simply motivate us, but the practical teaching in them look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Do nothing out of rivalry or selfish ambition. May that attitude and the actions that flow from it run through our veins as a church. And our attitude and actions as a church with respect to the wider church. And Lord, may this Bible passage tonight be of special blessing to dear Davy and Emma as they set out on this mission with their lives. For Jesus' sake. Amen.